Welcome to another edition of What's New in Wagyu. This is Stephen and Lane today, and it is our third podcast of the month, so we're going to talk about the butcher shop and all those fun questions that everyone needs to know about the butcher shop. Um, and Lane's going to go through a few things today, um, and it's going to be good. Like, there's a lot of good things that Lane has brought to the table, and you guys get to listen to him today more than you get to listen to me because it's Lane's segment. I am going to butt in and cause hate and discontent. So we wouldn't expect anything less. Right. Like, like why, why would I even come if I didn't need to have fun? But like always, we're going to start off the top of the podcast with the National Beef Wire for the day. So, Lane, beef, what do you think it's doing? You think it's still going down? Think it's going up? Think it's neutral? I think it's going a little bit down because we're starting to get beef off the ranges, and these guys are starting to get them in their trucks and to the packing houses and stuff, and they're trying to get the get ahead of everybody else, and that tends to put it down just a little bit. So I would have thought the same thing. Other than we're both wrong. (laughs) So today, top 25s are up 20 cents. Steers are up 16 to 261. Heifers are up to 262. So it's the first time I've ever seen heifers in like 10 years worth more than steers. By, By a penny. Penny per pound. Everybody's like, oh, it's a penny. Oh, it's a penny. That's a lot of money on an 800 pound steer. Yeah. You know, people forget how far a penny can go. Eight bucks. Yep. So, you know, and it's up $25, $25.82. Wow. Not not sure why, but it is. I think heifers are being bought at a high rate right now, Lane, because everybody is seeing these higher prices and they're trying to buy heifers to bring them home. That's what I'm thinking is they're, because they're trying to replace what we've lost. All the cows we killed last year. The last two years. Yep. And, And hay's cheap enough right now that people can afford to feed a little bit. So they can pay a little bit more for the heifers because he's cheaper. Well, well and, and it's going to wash. It's going to wash in the end. But the big thing is, is they can sell their cows and buy heifers. So they're getting a younger stock, essentially. You know, calves are are up seven today. No joke, they're two seventy seven right now, and I I didn't think that was going to happen until at least December. So you know, there's a lot of cool things going on right now. Stockers are at two seventy. They're up fifteen ninety one. Um, just like regular cold cattle, yeah. like general cattle in nature, 242 today. There you go. For a cool cow. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You know, and that's why I wonder if the heifers are up because people are getting rid of these cold cows and buying heifers. And I think there's a lot of heifers going on feed right now that usually don't go on feed. Right. I think the packers are buying a lot of heifers right now just to fill their orders, which isn't the common for them, Right. You no, know, but they're, they're they're trying to get anything they can get their hands on right now. And then box beef's up one twenty two today. A buck twenty two. Yep. So it's two thirty one seventy five. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 quite a bit for box beef to go up in a day. It is. You know, interesting. Like the side note, um, mortgage rates went up to seven point eight zero yesterday. So think about that. Fifty basis points from where it was the day before. So I think that we may be in an interesting time of the world where we're going to see some stuff that we don't really want to see, but I think we're going to get to experience it one way or another. Well, you know, dang well with uh, 
situation in the Middle East, and uh, the first thing the Arabs always do is they hike the price of oil or they reduce the input and do anything they can. To, well, and the Palestinians, they, they have such a big pull in the Arab world that they're going to dry a lot of oil up. Yeah, and so that means more inflation on our side of the yep. pond and and the tariffing, right? Yeah. Right. The tariffing sucks. They, it's yeah. getting worse and worse all the time. So I mean, it's just it would happen. It's what happens every time something like this happens in the well, Middle East. Well, right? and now you have two wars, two major wars going on at the same time. Af- or not Afghanistan? But yeah, the Ukraine. Ukraine, and yep. then you have the, the Israeli war. Yep, and, and then you have everybody else fighting in between. You know, so it's not. It's not. I don't know. People need to remember that that even though you don't think the global the global economy is a thing, it's a thing. It is a thing, and um, the price of a lot of stuff is going to go up just because of that. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Speculators do what they do; they speculate. Correct. So, I think you're going to see a lot of business guys buying a lot of heifers, trying to get in on this high market for a couple of years. I think you're going to see a lot of that. I've, I've talked to a few of them already who are doing that. They're moving their money from hard asset to, or well, from liquid asset to hard asset. Okay. And they're not buying ground, they're buying cattle. Which is interesting, right? You know, it's right. not usually a go-to, but it's a go-to right now. It's probably safer than the market. Yeah. But there's those that would always go buy ground, right? Right, right. There's always those out there that should buy ground. That should be a, a, should a be hard par- purchase. It should be part of their... Um, mass portfolio. Strategy, right? oh, yeah, yeah, your portfolio yeah. needs to have ground in it. It's the yeah. only thing that you can gain 30% back on every year. That's it. Sure. That's why rich people have ground. It, it just the reality of it. So, so we're going to start off today with one of Lane's favorite subjects. We're going to talk about the butcher shop, and I'm going to let him walk you down the road today of something that really worries him and makes him mad. And um, we've seen both sides of the picture going to other people's places. And I can tell you that it is a big, hairy, stinky elephant in the room sometimes. It is. We're going to talk about uh, meat shop sanitation. And what, as a customer, you should look for or expect from your packing house. Your little custom packing house or wherever you want to process your animals we need to look for how many times steve have we gone to a place and as soon as we get out of the pickup it's like oh my goodness what is that odor and everybody has to remember that i'm a little weird with certain odors (laughs) like it hits me and i just start gagging He, he he is he's got the Quickest gag reflex yeah. on old odors than oh yeah it's weird anyone that I know and and it's uh, that for some reason that decaying rotting smells one of those gag reflex times but I would say ninety percent of the places we've been to in the last five years you get out and you're like wow this is definitely a slaughterhouse it is they smell like a slaughterhouse they smell like a packing house uh, people that go in them are expecting it to smell that way. And, uh, you know, the first thing is, is you're walking from your pickup in the parking lot and not even going in, and it smells. Well, that tells you one of two things. They're either putting 
meat scraps, bones, and things out in the outside bins where the sun hits them and the flies and everything else comes and, and rots and makes it smell real bad. And, and everybody's got to remember, most of these packing houses are in towns. Like in Idaho, they're almost always in a town. They are. So this packing house is not being a very good neighbor because it's causing the rest of the community to have to smell their rancid nonsense. The other, the other possibility is they have a kill facility right there at the plant, and they're doing the same thing. They're bringing, taking the offfall and, and those kind of things, and they're putting it outside in a trailer or something for as long as they're going to be killing that day. Or whatever the oh, thing, and maybe and, keep it and, overnight or and the you next know, day. And you know it's not just overnight, Lane. To get yes. smells like that, it's been there a couple of days. Before they take it to the dump or get rid of it properly. And so if it smells really bad, that would be my first clue of do I really want to do business here. The next thing is maybe the parking lot is okay. And you walk through the parking lot and you're going into the meat packing place and you don't smell any outside odors, but as soon as you walk in the door, an odor hits you that about knocks you down. Or it smells like, um, I like to tell Lane, the, the, the butcher shop smell. Yeah, the butcher shop smell. A lot of times you can go into a retail store and you walk in and you at the front of the store, and you can smell the meat department clear in the back of the store. And that's not good. And that's basically a problem of sanitation of their refrigeration units they're using. Is it a degradable protein? Is that what you're smelling? You're smelling the proteins, but you're also smelling um, the moisture that comes off of the bottom of the, the trays in the, in the coolers. The coffin coolers are in the upright coolers, and they and your packages they drip, they drip moisture, they drip. Um, a lot of people call it blood. It isn't really blood, but it's the moisture that comes off the steaks, the hemoglobin, and it's and it's bacteria. It has bacteria in it. If you don't clean the bacteria, then the trays underneath the counters they get a big bacteria count. And then the ammonias start working, and you get a big, terrible smell. And you find a lot of that in counters that have a lot of fish in it, right? Yeah, and, and the one thing everybody has to remember is, is there is a fair amount of smell that's going to be there well, that's, from day to day. It is. We're talking about the stench. Right. Right? right? We're not talking... The uncontrolled growth... Of bacteria. bacteria that's making that a problem, right? And it's not just a problem for you. It's a problem for your cows that you're taking in there. It is. Because your animals will taste and smell like the cooler they're in. They do a lot. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. The other thing is, is, okay, so you get through the parking lot. And you open the door and you go into the lobby or the checkout place or the office, whatever they have, right? And, and it's, it smells okay. Our office usually smells okay, but we do a couple of things, right? We try and make sure that it's 
clean all the time. But we do use some uh, wax candle air fresheners. And, it's, and we try and make it smell better. Not just a cover-up, but it's clean so that that fresh scent can help the experience when people come into our office. So when we opened our shop, I had one big rule for Lane. Is that I wanted our office to smell like an office. And we do a pretty good job of making sure that the office smells like an office. Because I find that when we bring people through our shop, they're waiting for that kick in the gut of stench, right? And they don't get it. And, it, and, and you can tell, like, they, they talk about it. They ask us questions how we maintain the scent in the, in, the, in the office and in the cutting room and in the cooler. You know, so people care. This is not something people are like, oh, this is, you know, nonsense. Butcher shops smell like butcher shops. And you can't know how many people say, you can't even tell this is a butcher shop. It does not smell like a butcher shop. How do you do that? And the simple answer is we keep it as clean as we can and we keep the bacteria count down. Correct. And and the big thing, guys, is your customers or you as so so say you sold a steer. Right. Let's play a for for instance game. So Lane sold me a steer. And I'm going to pick it up. And I have no clue about this stuff. I just know that I bought a steer and I want to go pick it up. Like Barbara does all the time. Right. And I walk into our office and it doesn't stink and people are nice and people are mostly clean. And then Lane's really big on making sure that the staff, even though they work with blood every day, change their, you know, their, their mocks. Is that what you call them? Mm-hmm. So that they don't look like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. And sometimes we have a guy, kid that always looks like the yeah, yeah, he, Texas swear, Chainsaw Massacre guy. I swear guy. he just rolls in the blood. But it's because he's pick, he's the guy that picks up the carcasses and he moves them from table to table so everybody has their stuff. Like he's working in a in a blood high capacity. And Lane makes him change his clothes usually to about once a day. Just so he doesn't look like that. Correct. But as, an, as a customer, me walking into that, you know, it makes me feel way more comfortable with, especially if I'm a first time beef buyer, right lane. And Correct. we've been getting a lot of those lately. It makes me more comfortable having a nice, clean, presentable office that I'm used to seeing. And a lot of places we've been to have disgusting offices. And but, our, don't get us wrong. Our office gets plenty cl- cluttered oh, from yeah. time to time. It's such a small place and we have such a paperwork but it's but it's an office it's an office yeah. it's it's not a place where you know even you know it's not like, a storage room it's not a storage room it's a working office and we still do a lot of stuff in paper so lane's got paper you know on his desk and on the counter and things like that which that's fine because it's a working office but it doesn't smell like the backside of a rotten butcher shop and that's important it is real important because that's where I'm talking to the people. That's where well, they're that's paying. Where you that's do business. where they're paying the money. That's where we're getting their instructions. That's where that's where everything's happening is right there in that office, and that's where they get the first impression of us. I can't tell my one employee impressions matter. People's right. what they see, and their first first you only have one chance to make a first impression, and if you screw that up. That's the impression they're going to have, and it's hard to change that. 
And I always tell people, um, the reason that we have such a high success rate with keeping our office maintained is early on is I, I mean, I talked to Lane about it. I go an office is where your business is done. The cutting room is where your trades done. And it's two separate things. It really is. And, and Lane questioned it, I think a little bit at the beginning, but as he got going into it, he realized that there is a big difference between applying your trade and doing business. Right. And when the guys come in, they don't get to come in the office and sit down or take a break or do any of those things. They, they do their work in the right place. Correct. If we had a little different um, layout, they wouldn't even have to come in the office to use the restroom. Yeah, but, but you it's have. right off the restroom. Right. But, they, but all I'm saying is we do the best we can to make that be an office, a working office, and a place people feel comfortable doing business. Correct. And, and I would say, Lane, what do you think? Probably over 70% of the people who come pick up the product and pay you are, are female. Probably, yeah. About, about 60 to 70%. I would agree with that. And, and, you know, your wife may have a lot different sanitation standard than you do. And if you keep her happy, everyone's happy. You know, if she feels comfortable with the roasts and the product that she just received from a place, um, your life at home is going to be easier because she's more willing to want to cook it and feed it to her family and you. So the next test, if the outside's okay and your office okay, sometimes you can look in through a window or even get a tour of your cutting room. You should always get a tour of the cutting room. I will tell you this right now. I wouldn't do business with anybody who wouldn't tour their cutting room and their cooler. Anyway, that's the next, that's the next step. When you go in the cutting room, does it smell like fresh meat? Or is there a spoilt or sour smell in there? So this one right here is kind of an interesting one. Me and Lane went into a shop. It's probably been a year. It's probably been two, three years ago now. And I walked in and I'm like, what in the hell is that smell? Because it didn't smell like meat, but it didn't smell like, but it didn't smell right. It was his drains. It was his drain. Lane and Lane goes, it's his drains. And I'm like, what? And he's like, when we get back to the shop, I'll show you. I didn't realize the drains come apart. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize. So, and everybody has to remember this. I'm the business guy here. I'm the guy who raises cows and does business. Lane's worked in, in and out of this industry and understands all of the hot points that everybody kind of forgets because he doesn't want to work in a smelly environment. And so, yeah. So, and there's lots of places that can cause that, right? Um, the floor drains, the sink drains. Um, if they didn't take the equipment apart correctly or break it all the way down and there's Lots of little nooks and crannies inside the saws or the grinders where stuff can get hid and overlooked if you don't completely tear it down. And it doesn't take long for it to start to smell. No, not at all. And the worst thing is, if you don't catch it and clean it before you start, Everything. guess what's going in the meat? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. I, I'm sorry. It's true. And, uh, and even in USDA, we've walked into plenty of USDA inspected plants that I wouldn't take anything to on a dare. And most of those, the equipment's clean. Yep. 
Their floors are terrible. Yep, and their coolers are disgusting. Like, like beyond disgusting. Uh-huh. But they get passed every weekend on their USDA check. Because they feel if the beef is like 12 inches above the floor. They're good. They're good. Yeah. And so the floors don't really check. They're supposed to check the box. Yeah. But a lot of times they let that box slide. Oh, well, Because it's not as romantic as... no. Catching something in the grinder. Right, right. Or exciting as well, catching something in the and it's saw. N- and it's not as big of a um, daily violation. Correct. You know, it's one of those minor violations that you can have 15 of before they actually make you do something. You know, the grinder, it's a one and done. It'll shut you down for the day if you're not careful. Yeah. You do it twice in a row, you're done for the day. Yeah, that's true. He'll just shut you down for the day and walk away. Yep. Tell you, let's try this in the morning. Been there, saw that. <laughs> Not at my shop, but yeah. others that I've worked at. Yeah. You know, and, and Lane, yeah. here's something that a lot of people have. They need, they need you to explain this. What is the difference between a USDA plant and a custom plant? A USDA plant has an inspector on site inspecting the kill. And then the inspector is also on site on their, their cutting days. And the first thing this inspector does is inspect the cleanliness of the equipment, make sure it's clean and properly sanitized for that day's work, that the tabletops are clean, that the whole work environment is clean. They check the knives to make sure there's no meat or blood or debris from the previous day. Um, they'll even take, um, what are the papers, lithmus yep. papers, and make sure that um, the bleach um, is concentration the right was, is not too strong. Or not strong or enough. Or not strong enough. I mean, they, they really do a pretty good job of preventing but, bacteria on the places that they check. That they care about. That they care about. And, and here's something you guys have to remember too. In, when you get into a rural area um, where there's not a lot of inspectors, the inspector will be there the entire kill day. Mm-hmm. But he may just come and do a morning pre-check, get you started, and then you won't see him the rest of the day. Correct. You know, he'll come in and make sure everything's clean when you start, but he's not going to be there all day because he has you know, seven or eight other shops he has to visit that day. And so a custom shop like ours, that inspection duty falls, on. falls upon me. And, and let's be clear, we have the USDA guy in once a year right now. And he comes in and he cries and complains about certain things every single year that don't matter because we don't have any violations for him to really give us. <laughs> but, but that's it. I yeah. mean, those, but my guys, I'll go in. I check the grinder, I check the saw, I check the walls, I check stuff. One of, the, one of the things my guys like to try and get away with is we have stainless steel p- tables, and on top of them is a plastic acrylic. Yeah, it's cutting, cutting board. T- it's cutting, cutting board material. Yeah, cutting board material. And sometimes they like to try and get away with not taking that apart and washing both sides of the thing, and water gets under there and stuff, and... If you miss a day and I catch them and 
it's stinky. Well, and especially, we, we, especially if we, it's on a Friday night, right? right or a right. Saturday night, our last cutting night of the week. Yeah. It, and it, it's, it's always, it's always continual training and continual reminding, right? And, and here's the thing, guys. I will tell you right now, Lane would make a USDA inspector cry with the level of cleanliness he requires. Like he goes, there's the standard and then there's about a third and a half step ahead of that. And then there's two more steps past that. And that's where Lane is because he knows that a it's safe and equitable to our clients. But he also knows that I have one of the weakest gag reflexes on (laughs) earth. And if I walk into the shop and I can't be in there, even to harass the guys for a minute because it stinks, he knows I'm going to be like, Hey Lane, what the hell? Yeah. And, and let's face it, right? Especially now we're in the middle of an elk season. Yep. And these elk come in dirty, shot up, shot up, um, blood in the muscles, blood has a terrible odor. Oh my goodness. You and if it's, and it. if it's there for any period of time, it's stinky. We put it in the bone barrels and the bone barrels get an odor. Yep. You can't help it. No. We go to the, we dump them every other day and clean them every other day. And we're keeping and them take, in a cooled environment And, we, and too. we keep them in our cooler. Yep. Our cooler's 30 degrees. So the bacteria doesn't have a chance to overpopulate yeah. quickly. And then, and then every day that they're emptied, they're cleaned and sanitized. Yes, they are. And so, I mean, we have three days a week that we can go to the dump. That's Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And so, I mean, it's as, it's as, and that's the the only reason we don't go more is the dump's only open those three days a week. Yeah. And the, the place, so the place that takes the animal parts is only open three days a week. Correct. The, the whole dump system's open every day, but, but not, not for us. Yeah. Not, not for us to be able to do it. And here's the other thing. You know, we maintain them in the cooler so that they're safe and it's not multiplying out of control so that we can dump them so they're not in our dump trailer rotting away. Correct. And we do get a little bit of a reprieve during the winter months because it's cold. Mm-hmm. So we can fill the dump trailer, take it out, and it'll be frozen because it's below freezing anyway. Everything's frozen in the dump trailer. And anyway, so... And then in the cutting room... Scraps and things, and right now, because of the shut-up nature of the elk, I mean, blood gets on the floor. It right? makes it slick. It makes it slick. And I make those guys, every time it gets just a little bit out of hand, I make them stop, clean the floor, squeeze it back into the drain, and get it back to a semblance of... Cleanliness. So if we have anybody come in, they're not offended by the blood on the floor. Because blood is offensive. It is, for a lot of people. And, and here's the other thing. Um, Normally offensive, right. right? But here's another thing, too, you guys have to remember. You know, Lane may stop and make them clean for 20 minutes, right? And, and there's a lot of owners that are going to be on here listening to this that go, oh, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that during your workday? Well, I'm going to tell you a secret. 
it's going to save you so much money and so much time not having workman's comp claims because someone slipped on the floor and hurt their back. Right? Correct. And for me, I, the worst thing that could happen is if Lane were to fall down and break his hip. Lane's not a spring chicken, and a concrete floor in, a, in an old man's hip is not a match made in heaven, I can tell you that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, my, and, and my guys know that. The guys there know that if Lane gets hurt because they're negligent, I'm not going to be very happy. <laughs> they, they keep a good eye out for me. They do. And they make sure he doesn't do stuff he's not supposed to or lift things he's not supposed to. Or, but, but that goes back to we have a good crew that, that's been trained, that's loyal to the, to the brand, it's loyal to the shop, and they're loyal to Lane. Um, yeah, I mean, there's times. and The hardest thing about getting a little bit older is I want to do everything I could 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Yep. My brain says I can do it. My body doesn't cooperate all the time. And after I do some of these things, I mean, I go home at night. I have I have this little blue pill. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not the one you're thinking about, but it's, it's, a, uh, it, it's a pain reliever and a muscle relaxer. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes... That's the best thing that I do all day is take that little blue pill. And then go to bed. And go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, guys. Like, not only is this a sanitation problem, but it's a workman's comp problem. And there's not a one of us, as careful as we are about things, there's not a one of us that hasn't slipped and taken a fall in that meat shop. Oh, yeah. I, I was walking through one day. Going to fix, so Lane, we have to do our vacuum pack oil about once a month. Mm-hmm. I'm cruising through there one day, and you would have thought Lane had sprayed the floor with a uh, Pam or something. I stepped on the blood spot and down. I went. I was. I was a little upset about the whole deal, but it, it's slick. And, and then, and then I had to remind him, what did we cut yesterday? And he wagyu. Says, oh, my wagyu. Yeah. And I said, yeah. It takes us about three days to get all that grease. Yeah, de- with and a fat good degreaser. Out of the floor. Yeah, with a good degreaser. Yeah. And not that it's like stuck in there being smelly. It's just the buy off of the protein. Yeah. It's just, it's just what it is. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was like a nice skating rink. You could have, you could have luged across that all day long. And, and then when it goes like that, we'll, you know, scrape, 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 degrease and stuff. Sometimes we'll get there in the morning and it will be kind of slick and go, guys, degrease the floor again. Yeah. We can't do this today. Like it is. We need to degrease it, squeegee it, and if it's still slight, degrease it again. So, yep. I mean, it's it's just part of the it's just part of the routine. Um, and these guys are getting used to it. Um, we certainly don't have as much fun enforcing it no. now than we did like two years ago, right? Right. It was an everyday thing. Right. And now they're good. They're good because they don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> so. <laughs> So if the cutting room is good, then it's the cooler. Now, the chill cooler is interesting place because it has a lot of big fans in it. And you walk in there and it feels almost like an air tunnel. It should. A wind, a wind so, tunnel. So, and, and just so everybody's aware, the good new coolers... We're not talking about coolers that were made in the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s. We're talking about 
within the last 10 years. And ours wasn't made in the last 10 years. No. And so we have put additional... Carpet fans. Compensational fans to increase the circulation. So so that that we could have the same circulation as a new high efficiency. Correct. Uh, There's three or four in there. There's three. Yeah. Plus two banks of four fans up above. Right. So if you count all the fans, there's four, eight, nine, ten. There's 11 fans in that, that cooler. Just to keep just, everything just cool. Just circulating the cold air. And, and the circulation's super important, guys, because that's how your carcasses get cooled down in a timely manner. And so we're supposed to have, from the time we bring those carcasses, time we bring them, those carcasses in our... In the cooler. Cooling, in the cooler. In 24 hours, the internal temperature of that in the thickest part of the round... Supposed to be 40 degrees. Yep. In 24 hours. And what is it? Eight hours later than that, there's supposed to be... They're supposed to be down at at chill temperature, which is 32.8 or something like that. Within eight hours after the initial... 40. 24. At 24, yep. You know, and then within 40, they they have a a weird leeway in there, so they have that eight-hour... And then they say at 40 hours, it has to be at whatever ambient air temperature in the cooler is. Right. And according to the USDA, they want you to run your coolers at 32 degrees. And we run ours a little... We run ours at 30. So um, it doesn't freeze until yep. it's about 28 because of the proteins. And, and we're doing that so that we can slow down even more bacterial growth than the standard. So you have to remember, what we're fighting in the coolers, two things, decomposition... Breaking down, um, bacterial breakdown, and the bacterial count. And if anybody ever tells you, oh, I have good bacteria in my, in my cooler, so we can hang things longer. I want you to look them square in the eye and tell them they're liars. Because you wouldn't go and hang out in somebody's coffin after a week. No. Why do we expect our meat to be hung that long or longer and not have some form of issue behind it? And, and the whole thing is bacteria control. Right. Okay. That's why we keep our cooler so chilled. And we're cleaning the floors three to four times a week. Sometimes when we have a extra... Our day with elk, we'll clean it every day, depending on how much um, drip and weep that the carcasses have. Uh, We'll degrease it, we'll sanitize it, we'll keep it nice and clean. And all of this is to control the bacteria count. 40 degrees and over. It's good for bacteria growth. Under 40 degrees and colder, it retards it, retards it. And so whether we're in our cutting room, our cutting room is usually about between 40 and 50. We have faster bacteria growth in the cutting room, but it's controlled every day with our sanitation. And if it gets warmer than 
Looks like it's going to get warmer than 50 degrees. We open the cooler door and the freezer door, and it's down to 35, 36 degrees within 15 minutes. Yeah, it's quick. So, I mean, it isn't like uh, we're cutting at that temperature all day. So, but, but people... But here, here's something, too, everybody's got to remember. Lane does something kind of sneaky sometimes when we cut Wagyu. It's always cold when we cut Wagyu. Oh. Just so, just so all you other Wagyu guys out here can understand this, we can cut regular cattle and, and venison and elk and anything else at these little higher temperatures. Yeah. If you don't drop that temperature in that, and they're all wearing coats. When we cut Wagyu, everybody's wearing a coat, it seems like. Except for Daniel, because he's working really hard. But um, that's, it's important to note this because we have found that when you cut Wagyu at a higher temperature, you don't get the quality of cut or product that you would like. And it's, it's all over your hands. And it's slick. It, it, it melts all over your hands. And it's slick and it's hard to work with. You can't get a grip on your knives. Um, and my guys would rather cut pigs, if that's telling you anything, than Wagyu. Because it's easier to clean up. So, but anyway, but, but yeah, it's, our cutting room is probably about 36. Yeah. When we cut Wagyu. And and that's year round. If we have them in the middle of the summer or the middle of the winter. In the winter, it's nice because we can crack open a door or a window because it's 15 degrees outside. Yeah. But if not, it's run off of our cool room. So that's all it is, is it's, um... Bacteria. So, so Lane should and they- and, the, and those odors is they're all ca- caused whether you smell them outside or in my office or in the cutting room or in the cooler. It's all caused by decomposition and bacteria. The meat is rotting. Correct, and that's what you guys are, are thinking. So everybody goes. So aging and rotting is the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just a nicer word, right? Right. And, and here's the deal. So this is a Wagyu podcast, right? What do I always tell you about Wagyu, Lane? If you have to age them, what? <laughs> You're feeding them wrong. <laughs> if you have to age Wagyu to make them more tender, which means they've decomposed, that the decomposition has yeah. occurred. Your genetics or your feeding program need help. Adjusted help. Need help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's what I laugh about when people are like, oh, I got Wagyu that's 21 days, you know, dry aged. And I go, what are you, retarded? That's, rid- that's ridiculous. Wagyu should be tender from day one. So, Lane, we've been into quite a few coolers. We're going to go back to the coolers. Okay. Which cooler do you, you don't have to tell the person who it is. Okay. Right. But what did, what was I the most appalled by in a USDA cooler? Over the last 10 years. The slime on the floors. That's number two. But what was number one? We went into a USDA plant and they were, um, they had some beef in there that were like, what, 40, 50 days? The black beef in the cooler. And then they had been there so long, right? Uh That this like fungus had grown out. The hair. Yeah, and touched the other, the, other, the other carcass. Like, yeah. two carcasses had grown enough decomposition fungus that they touched, but only because they were, like, 
growing towards each yeah. other. And and we're talking about that's a USDA plant eight, eight to twelve inches. Oh yeah, apart. Yeah, they were spaced correctly. So a foot. Think about that. So each of those carcasses' sides had grown six inches of hair that almost touched. And that was probably the thing that grossed me out the most in all of the things we've been through was that right there. And that, and the weirdest part was, and, and this is the part that still throws me off. They cut that beef the day we were there under inspection and they were allowed to do it. Yeah, that's uh and it has a taste. It has a flavor. I'm sorry. It does tastes like rot. <laughs> well, people call it rich and rotund. They call it. They, they call it rot. That's what it should be called. I like rotten food. And and these are the same people, Lane. That if you'd hand them a nasty apple, they'd throw it away. Yeah. Right. They would. Or if they'd open up a bag of lunch meat or, or even cheese and find it being a little moldy, they cut that off. Or throw it away. Or throw it away. Yeah. Yet they're, they're okay doing that with their beef? Are you, are you kidding me? I, I, I just have some major problems with, with it. And here's the saddest part to me. I know a lot of guys that are hanging, be- hanging Wagyu a long time. I know. And, it, and, and it's, that's more because of Traditions of the fathers, right? Right. And we'll get into that discussion here in a little bit. So, Lane, now that we've covered all of the places to find bacteria and smells in a shop. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about, we've talked about a little bit of general. Yeah. Now we're going to break it down a little bit. That's what I was hoping you were going to do, is kind of go in depth on what what little things happen. Okay. We're going to talk first about where bacteria thrives. Cool, where, mo- warm, moist places. Warm, moist places. Anywhere where temperatures are over 40 degrees. Right. It's just like a little Petri dish, right? <laughs> yep, just keeps it going. You just, it, you know, I, ha- I have my own little laboratory yep. right there in Firth, Idaho. It's called a cutting room. Right. Now, why is that? Because bacteria come in on the beef. It's in the air. It's in the dirt. It's in the dust. We, the world is a bacteria-laden Oh, yeah. Look at your hands, right? Right, right. Yeah, look at your hands. There's more bacteria on your hands than about anywhere else. Right. So, so when an animal gets killed, gets slaughtered, right? And like you and me and animals, the bodies are pretty... Advanced, right? Right. The skin te- keeps the bacteria out or the fur or the hides or things. And, and uh, the blood system is closed. Yep. So right? just, like a, just like a vacuum hydraulic pump. Right. And so it doesn't really get in there in case there's an opening. So what's the first thing we do? Bleed them. No, first thing we do is... Stun them. There's either a shot with a projectile or a shot with a bolt, yep. right? And it goes into the head. Yep. And it's projecting and the hair and the blood and the dirt and the manure that the you cow got. Yeah, you don't head wash. got pooped on that morning. Yep, because you don't wash them. No. So it goes right in and it gets a start in the blood system. So it's starting to pump that black bacteria through the blood system. Then we take a sharp knife and it may be clean. 
but we have to go through the hide and the hair and everything else. So as soon as you get that jugular, what happens? It pumps that bacteria through the whole system of the cow. Even though you're, you're purging it, you're also spreading it. You're spreading the bacteria. So as soon as you break that barrier, that carcass is, can we say contaminated? Is that a good word? Contaminated is a little strong, but, but it has now become an active Petri dish. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you don't treat it right from that point... And heaven forbid you can you have, have uncontrolled bacteria growth that yeah. gives you problems. And heaven forbid your guy, we watch this in USDA plants all the time. Your guy bunging animals touches something he's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And now you've got fecal material mm-hmm. that is now entered on the skin, on, on, not on the skin, but on the subdermis meat. Mm-hmm. So you're just now adding another layer of more bacteria. Yeah, it, it just, it just. And it happens, right? Well, it's part of the process. There's no way right. to, to yeah. Yeah. 100% avoid it. Yeah. That, that, that's why, guys, when you hear about lactic, lactic baths or spray downs, right. what they're trying to do is correct any of the outside bacteria, at least slow it down, right? Slow it down. Slow it down. Control it. Yep. Kill, kill some of it. Kill a lot of it. Kill most of it that it's not going to... And I will tell you, I'm a firm believer in lactic spray. Yeah. I, I just am. Because anything you can do to help yourself inside the shop, you should probably do. And the USDA requires it. Yep. So, so where, where is all this bacteria? It's in everything. Oh, yeah. It's on your floors. It's on your walls. It's in the on air. your equipment. It's in the air. In the air. It's in the saws. It's in your grinder. It's in the surfaces of them, inside and outside. Um, and... That's why washing the equipment is so good. You have to wash it, get all the nooks and crannies, then you get to sanitize it. Well, and you should wash it with hot water. Oh, yeah. And a good detergent, detergent bacterial deter- yep. detergent soap, right? Right. That's approved. That's approved. That's not dangerous for people. Yep. That rinses well and those type of things. And then you have a sanitizer, the proper usually proportion. A cl- usually a bleach-based and then, and you make sure that all the little nooks and crannies are clean. And then covered with the sanitizer. Uh-huh. And then left to air dry. Correct. Until, until it is dry. You can't even start working until it is dry. Exactly. Then, uh, where else is it found? It's found in your knives. It's found in your cutting gloves. It's found it on your hands. Do you know the one that surprises me the most, Lane? And I, I didn't think about it until about, oh, six, seven months ago. Tell me. The USDA doesn't, they check your knives, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what they don't check? What don't they check? Your chain that your- you wear around your waist that your knife holder goes in. They'll check your knife holder. Uh-huh. They'll check your knives. But I've never seen one check the chain. Okay. And that, it's just interesting, right? Because yeah. it's going to be in the same place as all of those other things. Mm-hmm. You probably lean up against more carcass base, whether that's hanging or in pieces, with your chain belt than just about anything. It, that's, yeah, because it's constantly going on yep. and off. 
And most um, guys have their steel hanging from the long end, right? So they're right. lifting it up. They're stealing their knives. You're rubbing rubbing yep. against the carcasses. You're rubbing against, you yep. know. The table. You're doing your work, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Your countertops, they're full, full. of bacteria. And your countertops, they get grooves and little nicks and stuff because you're cutting with the knife. So that gives them even more area for these little bacteria to hide. Little homes. Yeah, little homes. You're you're the HUD of the bacteria world. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then of course it's always airborne. So right. your sanitation system, you need to address some different things. One you have to address the grease, floors, walls, even the ceiling. Yeah. We don't wash our ceiling as often as the walls and the floors. But it gets it gets a good regular cleaning. Um, your countertops, and if you have removable countertops, both sides plus the base that it's on, plus if there's any shelves underneath it, plus the baskets and trays that you use to store or freeze or whatever you're going to do with the product that goes in with the vacuum packer. You got to make sure your vacuum packer or your Wrapping station, whatever it is, if, even if you use paper and plastic, that that is clean and sanitized. Which and, you should never use in 2023. You should never use paper and plastic. That is my keynote that I will say anytime we talk about it. Paper and plastic was invented in the 20s and should have stayed there. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for your... Informed opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I'll, I agree with one hundred percent. But we, be, we we had plenty of we had plenty of disagreeable <laughs> conversations on that when we yep, first started. Yeah, because Lane was there when it was invented. That's why he loves it so much. <laughs> I was there when it was invented. Not quite that old, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, your cleaning your cleaning schedule every day has to include. Those kind of things. I would ask for your plant's cleaning schedule. I would. I think if I was going to go to a new plant lane, Mm -hmm. you would be seeing us ask for cleaning schedule. I see what you're saying. You know, now, now that we, we own our own place and that, I would ask for a cleaning schedule before I took my animals to a new place. And they're going to say, oh, we clean every day. And I go, no, no, that's not a schedule. (laughs) <laughs> how are they cleaned? What cleans? And I might even come one day before I would use a new service mm-hmm. and watch the person clean. You would. I would. You, you would. I don't think a lot, a lot of people would get to do that, but I would definitely make sure that your questions were answered better than we clean every day. Right. Well, what do you clean every day? And how do you do that? Those are the two follow-up questions you ask. And what about your cooler? Well, we... We We don't wash that because that's where all the good flavor is. (laughs) I've heard that, guys. Like, I hate to... Ask Lane. We heard that one day. We do not clean our cooler because that's where the good flavor is made. We have this customer. (laughs) He's a relative of Steve's wife's. So it's my wife's granddad. (laughs) Let's just throw it on out there. And this dude would eat a rotten roadside meal, I'm pretty sure. We, he first 
wanted us to age something 35 days. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't think so. And I'm saying, Steve, I will not do that. And, and, and everybody has to remember, so he bought a beef from my father-in-law. So now we have two problems, right? Now the father-in-law wants, wants to make sure he gets his beef done for, yeah, for, for grandpa. For 31 days. Yeah. <laughs> and so at about day 18. We called him up and had I him say, come I'd say, come look at this, Kevin. Yep. Right? Yep. And he looked at it and... Then we had oh. we had Larry come down. Uh huh. Kevin was thinking, yeah, we probably ought to cut that. And Larry looked at it and, and he put it. his he poked it, and he said, "If my finger can't go through between the ribs, it isn't aged enough." <laughs> and I looked at Lane and I was like, "Wow, that ain't I gonna s- work for us." I said, "Larry, I'm cutting it in two days." And I will not age it any longer than that. This is at an unhealthy point. Yeah. You and we were lacticing it every third or fourth day. Like like we had we had kept almost all fungal growth from the outside. But it was and he lost probably about thirty-five to forty percent just to trim. So so here's the deal, guys. We need to talk about the reality of the old wives' tale lane, I think. Okay. But before we do, I have one more question on your cleanliness standard. Okay. At what point do you feel that your guys have accomplished true cleanliness in the Never. Shop? Never. You cannot get a meat plant clean enough to be Perfect. And if anybody ever tells you that their plant is perfectly clean, I probably wouldn't take my stuff there. The thing you have to remember is we try to control the bacteria counts to an acceptable level. But does that mean it's an acceptable level for our cleanliness? Never. If there's ways we can make it cleaner... Do better, cut the bacteria count even more. We're open to any new technologies. So I actually um, have been looking at a UV. A new what? A UV light that goes in our doorway Mm -hmm. so that when we roll those carcasses in, the UV disinfects the carcass as we roll it through the door. I think it might be something cool to have. And yeah, guys, you cannot you cannot get a packing house clean enough. Clean enough. And the minute you think you do, you're starting to run behind the eight ball. So now after the doom and gloom scenario, <laughs> we're gonna talk about coolers real quick. Coolers? Coolers and hanging beef. Okay. So we had a fun time with Larry's stuff, right? So if you can call it fun. If I had it my way and we could get this done and we, we can't quite get there yet, but I think sooner or later we'll figure it out. The Wagyu we kill are so big. You're talking 1,200 pound carcass rates. So 12, yeah, 12 to 1,400 pounds. Them are big boys. 
And it takes every bit of our time constraint to get it down underneath the cooling factor. If I had it my way, Lane would be cutting them the next day. But we can't because we have to make sure everything's cooled to an appropriate point, right? Mm -hmm. But if I had it my way and we could figure it out, whether and I think the only way to do it's a flash freezer. But if I had it my way, we would cut them, you know, we cut them at three days now. Yeah. I would cut them next day. And, and sometime out there, there could be flash freezer. I don't know if that's a great idea because then you get crystalline structure in the meat. That's my concern with it. But I'm just saying on the top layers. And then, yeah, I did see a cool thing out of Japan about a month ago. Uh They have this bag and and it's designed for a carcass and you put it over your carcass and you pump NO2 in it. Okay. Liquid nitrogen. Right. And it has a, a, a barrier between the, there's a bag and it has an inside and outside and then a middle, right? And you pump the liquid nitrogen in the middle and circulate it. And they're able to do Wagyu in Japan down to the acceptable 40 degrees and then the 32 degrees within four and a half hours. They haven't, and they're not having burn and they're not having crystallization yet. But they only do it on like extremely high-end animals that they want to get to market faster. They're not doing it on no, I would, daily I would, Wagyu. I would imagine that would... Well, I could only imagine the cost of nitrogen. Yeah, I mean, it, it would just... Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not going to sell one of those carcasses at our budget-beating price. No, to, no. But, but I think it's interesting, right, that they've come up with technology like that. And as it gets a little bit older, it becomes less expensive. Correct. Right? And it's been tested, right? Correct. That's what scares me about new stuff is there's no testing. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy that's the guinea pig. Unless you're the one developing it. Right, right. right. And then it's okay. Yeah. But, you know, today's coolers are considered high-capacity coolers. So, Lane, from your experience, not only education, but experience, how... Do these coolers affect a carcass day to day? You know, the that was part of a study back when I went to school. So we're talking Utah, about late seventies? Yeah, seventy eight. Yeah. In there. And uh you know we were doing it box beef was just starting to get a foot, right? Before then, everything was taken to the grocery stores, carcasses. Um, and then broke halves, down. Halves of holes, front quarters, hind quarters, that kind of stuff. Or maybe even primos. You'd have uh, uh, horse head um, ground, or you'd have a steamboat, or you'd have uh, just the full loin. Um, but everything's bone in and just come in, and you had hooks on the walls of your coolers in the grocery stores and you'd hang them on the hooks and or on the rails you had a little rails sometimes but the meat cutting was done there in the shop from taking them from carcass all the way to finished product so to do that you know everybody wanted them a lot of people wanted them aged right and so the packing houses would age them up to two weeks. And so they came 
to Utah State where I was going to school, and they said, we want to know something because we, we're thinking about the box beef. We want to know how much shrink there is in 14 days of the carcass in these high-efficiency coolers. And what the difference, the second thing, the difference in tenderness between a beef cut at three, three days and a beef cut at 14 days. So what we did, we worked with a local packer, and at that time they were doing 250 to 500 head a day. Must have been Trey Miller's at that time. EA, I believe. EAA, yeah. And, and we found out that you had up to 2% shrink per day for the first five days, and then 1% a day thereafter. So you figure 18, 19%, your carcass was gone to evaporation. And I want you to think about this, because we do this in other things, right? When we make jerky, we pull liquid out, right, Lane? So essentially, as this is aged in this high-efficiency, high-air-volume cooler, you are not only having decay, but you're also fighting jerky-making, essentially. Yeah. It, it, it's dry, drying out, right? And we all know Which, how tender a piece of jerky is. Right, it becomes tougher with... The longer yep. that it's there, right? Okay, so so you have seventeen, say seventeen to nineteen percent of your carcass gone through evaporation. As uh, evaporation happens, it, cells lose the moisture. The cells become tighter, more compact together, which equals and they're less not, tender meat, and they're not decaying faster than they're coming together. No, no. So your, your tenderness comes one of two ways. One, you breed it and feed it, mm-hmm. or two, you decompose it. Correct. So then we found that um, we did a lot of shear tests on all the good steak muscles and some of the roasts and things, right? And we found that there was not a significant difference between tenderness in a beef aged three days and processed or one that was aged 14 days processed but what they we did find was the yield at three days they lost six percent so let's they, use a thousand so they, pounds for for example a thousand pound hanging weight thousand pound six percent yep. 60 60 pounds right yep in three days mm-hmm. so i've lost 60 pounds of yield in three days. It's taken me four years to lose that on the diet. Right. And then, Lane, after those three days, what happens? How much are we losing after the first three? After the first five, 1% per day, right? So for the first five days, you lose how many percent? 10. So Up to 10. So let's just round everything up. Let's say worst case scenario. Because if you're conservative okay. about it, you're, you're wrong. What was I saying? So we're going to lose five days at 10. That's 50. No, we're going to lose five days at 2%. Right, which is 10%, 10% of your total of the, carcass. Of your total carcass. Plus 1% a day after that. Yep. So at, at a, at, if somebody wanted to have theirs hung for the 21-day traditional hanging period, how much have we lost? So 5, 20, 15, 16 16 more percent, so that'd be 26%. So you just lost... A quarter of your... A quarter of your yield. And in Wagyu, that's, that's a lot. Um, 
you, and there wasn't and there wasn't a significant difference in in the tenderness. And a lot of you guys are going to be like, "Oh, you know, but I like the flavor." Well, you are getting a flavor of decomposition. And if that's what they like, they don't. That's right. what they like, right. you know. Right, wrong, indifferent. But, it's right for them. But but we can but us as a producer, right? We right. want to give our end consumer the option every time we can. So if Lane cuts my wagyu at three days, and uh, let's just say um, restaurant A wants to have it dry aged longer, they can do that at their own location. Yes, they can. They can take the shrink. They can take. They can take whatever they want because they know what they're going to have to sell it for at the end of the day. Because they're the ones measuring it and cutting it and doing it. Correct. But I don't feel comfortable with us us doing that for them. Oh, and and that's the reason that the packing houses wanted the study, right? right? And when they found that they didn't have to take that shrink anymore, oh yeah, they got a better price because they were selling more meat and the went into the box. And it's not shrinking any less in the box. No. It's still shrinking. It's still drying out. Well, not drying out, but the, the fluids are coming, out, at, coming in out in the bag. And the longer it's in the bag, the more fluids. And then the grocery store guy cuts the, cuts the bag and drains all the, the moisture. And guess who gets stuck with all the shrink? The consumer. Not the the grocery store right but they're going to pass it on but they're going to pass it on to the consumer because you yep. know we may have this round may have weighed 46 pounds to begin with but now it's only weighing 38 because all the fluid is coming fluid out fluid that's come out and so they run a cutting test on the 38 like they bought the 48 so that's all you can do is raise the price so that you come out correct right right and but Lane, the, but and Lane the, managed a retail a retail venue for quite a long time, so he knows he knows that this is what this is what has to happen, or nobody makes money. Yeah, so it, it's just it's it was, but talk about a great business decision on the packing house right. side, right? Well, and and we've found that once Lane gets people educated, we have a lot of older thought processed people where we live. In the West, people don't change their opinions very often. Um, Eric. Eric fought us pretty hard yeah. on it. Lane called him, and he's got some... He's an engineer. Right. So and him, his him, grandpa always did it this way. And, and, Lane, and Lane's got the same problem, so they all argue about the same stuff. <laughs> right? Okay. So, um, yeah. So his grandpa always did it. And he fought us tooth and nail. Until Lane said, we can do it this way and you can try it. And if you don't like it, we can do something else. Right? That, that's pretty much what it came down to. That's what it came down to. It pretty much came down to Lane saying, if you, if you don't like this, well, we won't charge you to cut it. No, it came down to, Eric, I have a window. I'm in the middle of an elk season. We don't age beef in the same cooler as the elk. Right. If I cut it, if I get it, it's going to be cut in three days. I can fit you in now, or you have to wait till February to get a kill date. And Lane, here's the deal. What did he call back and tell you? He said, Lane, those are the most tender, best steaks I've ever had, 
and they didn't have that funny taste. Right. And and I'll be honest with you, most of your consumers, 90% of your consumers don't like it. Like it's an acquired taste unless you grew up eating it and you like it. Like Larry. Like Larry. Um, it's not something that you strive for. It's not something you should strive for. Because it, most of us in the Wagyu game are in the resale market. We're selling this as a, a product. We want the end user to be able to choose how that product turns out, not us. And, you know, and, and, that, and that's the thing, guys. Um, and where this came from, the tradition and things, back in your in root cellar, in my grandpa's day, yep. they would wait until late fall or early winter to kill their beef. And they'd kill it and they'd hang it up by the tractor or in the garage or the shop or in the cellar. Whatever they had available. And they didn't feed them like we did. The animal science wasn't even close. The genetics weren't. Even close. Even close. Made to what we're looking for today in good beef cattle. Fullness, marbling, flavor, tenderness. They're kind of like range cattle that they brought in. Yep. And they killed the culls. Not the good stuff. Not the good stuff. Because they sold that. But the culls. And they hung them for two weeks to try and get them more tender. Which they did, but they didn't have a high-efficiency fans blowing and evaporating all the weight out of these well, carcasses. Well, and another thing is that most of them, it took them two weeks to get it processed because they were doing other things. So they would work on processing in the afternoons or the evenings until it was done. They'd do a little bit every day. Well, a lot, yeah, but, but like I say, but it, there was reason that they did it. It isn't well, that they were wrong or they were stupid or... It's just different that's, times. That's, just how they did it. And, right? and the thing is, is different tool for a different time. Correct. And that's all and, it is. And, it's, and a different outcome. Correct. And the cattle are not the same. Not, if they are, you better start improving your herd. Or you won't have one. Or you won't have one. There are the exceptions like the Longhorn Boys or the Coriani Boys, right? Yeah. But they're, they're, they're breeding for a different thing. Exactly. You know, hardiness is big in their breed. So... So, you got anything else over there, Lane? You know, I think we've given them enough to think about. I hope that, uh, you know, I, I don't know all the answers, but I do know cleanliness and bacteria control is essential for a successful meat operation. So, with that, we're going to leave you with a good night, and we'll see you again next week. At What's New in Wagyu. See you guys. She don't care about my car. And she don't care about my money. And that's real good, cause I don't got a lot to spend. But if I did, it wouldn't mean nothing. She likes me for me. Not because I look like Tyson Beckford. With the charm of Robert Redford. Losing out my ears. DVDs Things like that just never mattered much to her Plus she don't watch too much TV 
She don't care that I can fly her To places she ain't never been If she really wants to go I think deep down she knows that All she has to say is when She likes me for me Not because I hang with Leonardo Or that guy who played in Fargo I think his name is Steve She's the one for me Don't see. She likes me for me. 